Welcome everybody to another edition of Simplifying the Sword. We are going to look tonight at Hanukkah relating to Yosef being thrown into the boar to Reuven and the Gilgul of Reuven. Let's start. So we have, uh, we begin tomorrow night with the holiday of Hanukkah. And the question we asked is, what is the ness of Hanukkah that we celebrate? Which is the miracle? What do you think is the miracle of Hanukkah? The lights. You, so the, so that, that's the question. So we all celebrate the, nero, the lights, the, the oil. But what's the true miracle of Hanukkah? Is really the war, that they won a war. And that's when we say Al-Hanisim in the Amidah, we say Al-Hanisim and it's almost exclusively on the victory of the war. Nothing we discuss, we don't discuss really the, the lights. And the question is, which one is it? So the rabbis seem to feel that the real, the real victory, the real miracle, is in the war. But the problem is it's human nature to justify a victory in a war as my strength, my effort, my strength. Why did we win? Even though we were, we were less, we had better brains, we had better strategy, we had, we had this, we had that, it was our territory, we could find an excuse. Almost like anyone who looks back at the Six-Day War, you know, there's a, there's a story that's not true. They tell that a guy who went to West Point asked, his, asked why don't they study the Six-Day War in West Point. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, he's, and he was told by the, uh, by the general, we only discuss... True things. We don't... Natural things. We don't discuss... <laughs> but it's not true because they actually study... The Six-Day War. Yeah. But, but, the, but the idea of that, that the Six-Day War was filled with miracles. But even at the end of the Six-Day War, the rabbi used to say the Mashiach was coming. And the, and the, the Israelis at the Kotel that they just took back unfurled this banner. And it says, Yisrael, Boteach, has faith and trust. Ba, normally you would say Ba Hashem. Right. It said Ba Sahal. In the army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the nature of people is yeah. to say, we won because we were lucky. We were this, we were that. So we add the miracle of the oil where there's a miracle and we see the oil that it lasted eight days. So we have this miracle and we celebrate this miracle. But when it comes to life, which is the miracles? We, we have to know that, that some of the rabbis say the only reason we had the miracles in Egypt is so that we could realize that every day is a miracle in our lives. Every single day we experience miracles. We look at those miracles maybe as coincidence. We look at those miracles as sometimes things that we see. So, so my, my wife this week, uh, she called one of her friends. I had spoken on Shabbat, on Sunday, and, and when when we were talking about it, she she called one of her friends who was a friend of hers in high school, who was really like a big defender of her in high school. She was two years older than her. My wife came to school, and, and this girl said, "Anyone who picks on her, who starts with her, who does, come to me first. Uh, and I said, "You know uh, what? Because like I spoke about this cousin. in the. Yeah. I said because I spoke. Why don't you call her and see how she's doing? Maybe she doesn't know you had." And, and she called her, and she was going through a terrible thing. Her son had, uh, had suffered a stroke last year. Oh my God. Uh, and it was, couldn't speak, couldn't do anything. And she said something very interesting. She said, even though he couldn't speak, he couldn't move, when the next day his wife came to hold his hand, all of a sudden he said, Nida. That his wife was Nida. And she shouldn't touch. And the mother said at that moment, he couldn't say anything, but he was able to say, I said, I knew Hashem was inside him, was with him. And now he's doing much, much better. He's going out, he's working, everything's changing. But she said, even in the tragedy, I was able to see something to hold on to, to know that Hashem was with me in the tragedy. Wow. So we said in this week's Perashah, what did we read? We read that they, the brothers took, took Yosef, they threw him into the pit. And the, the words in the Torah say, they threw him into the pit. And the boar, the pit, was empty. It was empty. There's no water. So the Mephashim ask a question. Right. If the pit is empty, why does the Pasuk continue and say, there's no water? It's obviously, if it's empty, it's empty. And, the, and Rashi says, no, you know what it is? The pit was empty, but it was filled with snakes and scorpions. And they threw him into a pit of snakes and scorpions. So then the question is, did the brothers know that this that was filled with snakes and scorpions? So the Mizrahi says, obviously they didn't know. Because had they known, then there's no way, there's no way that they would have 
they would have uh, they would have tried to kill him after that. They would have said, "Look, he was a, a, a revealed miracle. Nothing happened to him in the boar, and uh, that's it. We can't kill him. He's blessed by Hashem." But what does it say? No, it says so. Now, now imagine yourself, you Yosef. You got thrown into this pit. You see that's all around you is snakes and scorpions, which means you're basically a dead man in no time. And then you see that the snakes and scorpions, instead of coming towards you, go the other way and keep their distance. So in this moment, you know, Hashem is with me. And no matter what I'm going to have to deal with in what I'm dealing with, I know that Hashem is with me. It's a very interesting uh, way of looking at it. So I told a story then. I said I heard a story yesterday. And the story was a, a, a rabbi from, from Toronto. He's an older man. But he said when he was younger, he came to New York to study. And he studied by, I think, one of the, one of the Hasidic Rebbe's, maybe, maybe the Bab of a Rebbe. And uh, he was also near Mount Sinai. And he, was a, he came from a family that did chesed. So he was, took it upon himself to do chesed, to visit the people in the hospital, to go out of his way to try to do what he could while he was here, while he was studying. It says one Friday night, he was at a tish of the Rebbe, and a man comes into the tish, and he says, please, if anyone could do me a favor, my father-in-law just passed away. Will some, one of the boys, will you stay with, with the body overnight on Friday night, and we'll get someone in the morning to come? So he said, you know what, I have nowhere to go. He volunteered, he got up and he went and he sat with the body. And he said, he called his parents the next night, and he said, you know, this was a very strange experience. On the one hand, I felt very uplifted, but on the other hand, it was very spooky being a whole night in the, in the apartment with a dead body. He said, and they asked him, well, what was his name? And he says, his name was Rabbi Eliezer Schwartz. They said, was he from such and such yeshiva? And uh, he says, yeah. He says, yeah, he was from that yeshiva. He goes, you know, 20 years ago, he came to Toronto, and he didn't have a place to stay. So we invited him to stay in our house with us. And at the time, I had a one-year-old and I had twins. And it was hard. I couldn't sleep at all because the twins were colicky. They never slept. They were always... He said, so the one night he stayed by us, I got up in the morning and instead of getting up in the middle of the night, I got up from the sun coming through my window and I said, uh-oh, something is wrong. So he says, I ran in to see if the kids are okay. And what do I do? I see the old rabbi and he's holding the baby. Oh my gosh. And he said, I felt so bad. I heard the first one cry. I got up. I fed him the bottle. And then the second one got up. So I fed him the bottle. And now I'm just uh, wow. burping him so he should go back to sleep. I felt bad. I thought you needed at least one good night's sleep. Wow. And she says to her son, she goes, and the baby he was holding was you. Um. So he says, <laughs> so sometimes, how do you think, you know, Hashem is making these coincidences, we don't pay attention, but right. within all those coincidences, with all the dots, if you try to put them together, yeah, yeah. you really see Yad Hashem, the hand of Hashem. Yeah. So if we go back, let's go back to what happens at the boar. It says that, that so they see, so they see Yosef coming, he's coming from far. Until he's coming to them, they get together, they want to kill him. And one says to his brother, who's one to his brother? Shimon to Levi. Yeah. He is the dreamer of dreams, he's coming. And now, come and let us kill him. And we should put him in one of the pits. And we're going to say, uh, a wild animal came and he ate him. And it's going to appear, to the, let's see what's going to happen with his dreams. You know? Reuven heard, miyadam. He wanted to save them from their hands. And he said, We cannot take a life. And he told them, Don't spill blood. Throw him into the pit in the middle of the desert. Don't put your hand on him. And he thought over, the Pasuk says, that he should come back later and he should save him and return him to his father's. Now, the Zohar says something very interesting. It says, Reuven said to them, Don't spill his blood. Rabbi Yitzchak Amar, If there were scorpions and snakes inside the pit, 
How does it say by Reuven in order to save them and to bring them to the father? Didn't Reuven think that these same scorpions and snakes would cause him harm? How is he going to say to bring him to his father? And how does it say in order to rescue him? But he saw Reuven. He saw Reuven. That the, the danger is going to come when he's in the hands of his brothers. Because he knew how much they hated him. And their desire was simply to kill him. He said, better that I put him into the pit of snakes and scorpions and I don't put him into the hands of someone who's going to hate him and won't have mercy. And from there we learn, a person should throw himself into the fire. Or into a pit of snakes and scorpions. And he shouldn't give himself into the hand of those who hate them. In this place of the snakes and the scorpions. If he's righteous, God is going to make for him a miracle. And other times, Zechutavot is going to come and help him. But if he gives him to the enemies... He says that he's not going to be able to save them. And he says, therefore, he says, in order to save him from there. And he goes further, he says, Look at the kindness of Reuven. He knew his brothers, Shimon and Levi. What did they do? They were so, so fired up to do what they're going to do. And they were so hard guys. When they got together in Shechem, what did they do? They killed every male. And that wasn't enough for them. But they took the women, and the babies, and the silver, and the gold, and all the animals, and every valuable utensil, and everything found in the city. And even that wasn't enough for them. He says, But they took everything also that was in the fields. Like it says in the Pasuk. He says, And this great city couldn't save itself from them. How is this young boy going who falls in his hands, there won't remain from him a piece of flesh forever. And therefore he said, better to save him from them, they won't leave any, any remainder of him. And, God, and Father won't recognize him at all. He said, even if he goes into the pit and he's killed in the pit, at least I could come retrieve the body and bring the body back to my father. That was his secondary thinking if the other doesn't work. But he said that when a person, the, the rabbis say when a person has free choice, Hashem doesn't step in to stop free choice. But in the boar, where it's animals, Hashem would step in uh-huh. to protect him. And that was the thinking of Reuven to protect him. Now the problem with Reuven going in to protect him is you see in the Gemara, the Gemara here, it says something very interesting. It says that Reuven, when Le'ah names him Reuven. So the Gemara is commenting on the name Reuven. Now the Torah itself tells us why did she name him Reuven? Because she says, Reu, see, I have a son. Now my husband's gonna, right? It says, but we don't, we don't have the Gemara commenting on all the other names and she names them all for whatever reason. It says Rav Elazar, Amra Le'ah, Le'ah said, says, by naming him Reuven, she prophetically said, Reu, see. Now his name is associated with vision. Always associated with vision. Keep this in mind. He says, Reu, ma ben beni le ben hami. Look at the difference between my son and the firstborn son of my father-in-law, who is? Esav. De ilu ben hami. Even though my father-in-law's son, what did he do with his birthright? He sold it. He sold it. And even though he sold it for the lentils, what happens? He wants to come 
and he wants to have tremendous hatred towards Yaakov, his brother. He says, but look at my son, the Ilu Beni, she says. She says that even though Joseph took the birthright of the firstborn from him against his will, he says it's what happened when, when he moved his father's bed. What was the story when he moved his father's bed? She says that even though Yosef took the birthright from Reuven, when Reuven did something against his will, he didn't want to lose the birthright. He didn't sell it. Still, he went to go protect Yosef, who was really, he should have been his enemy more than any of the other brothers. Still, he went to go protect him. We go further and we see that it says, that we see further that it says, where's the other one? Here. So we see further that it says, We'll go back to, to the part where, where, he t- where he moves the bed. Let's try to just understand what happened a little bit when he moved the bed. So it says, when he moves the bed, we go back to last week's parasha. It says, uh, here. So now we have that Le'ad die. I mean, Ra- uh, Rachel dies. When Rachel dies, Vayisa Yisrael, Vayet Aholo So what does he do? He moves his, his tent from the tent, right? He moves his tent. So ya- Yaakov was going to move his tent to the tent of Bilhah, his bed to the tent of Bilhah, when Rachel died. So it says, Vahi bishkon Yisrael, Vaaretzahi, Vayelech Reuven, Reuven went, Vayishkav et Bilhah. And he slept with Bilhah. Pilegesh Aviv. The, the Pilegesh, the uh, concubine of his father. And Yisrael heard. Then it goes, continues the Pasuk. And the sons of Yaakov were twelve. And then it goes through the names. The question is, what, what's going on here? Yeah. So he says, Rashi explains, what did he do? He disturbed the couch of his father. He didn't really sleep with her. He moved the bed to the mother to his mother's tent. Why? He said, Rachel went and married Yaakov after my mother, and Yaakov stayed with Rachel. My poor mother. He says, and now Rachel died, and what does my father do? He puts it with the with the Pilegesh and not with my mother. It's an embarrassment to my mother, and he's against it. Although I saw also in the Zohar it said, what was the reason that he did it? One reason could be. That he says Yaakov has 12 sons. If Yaakov thinks he's going to have more children now, there's only supposed to be 12 Shabbatim. If he wants to have more, that means he's thinking that maybe some of us he's going to get rid of. Remember, we, we, we asked, why doesn't Yaakov criticize Reuven? Why doesn't he criticize Shimon and Levi until his deathbed? One of the reasons is because Leah has a connection to Esav. And he thought these kids have a connection to Esav and they're going to leave him. And join Esav. So Reuven's worried maybe he's going to have more kids and maybe that was the reason he moved the bed. That's, that's one suggestion of the, of the Zohar. Rav Shimon ben Elazar asks, he says, how could anyone think that it's possible that Reuven slept with Bilhah? It doesn't even, it's not conceivable. The Pasuk is telling us it's just to criticize him for moving the bed. He says, because when we get to Har Eval, when we get to the two mountains that we're going to curse and all the cursing and B'nai Israel is going to say, cursed is, and the rest say, amen, cursed is. He says, the tribe of Reuven is standing there. And one of the curses it says in Devarim is, cursed be the one who lies with his father's wife. And they say, amen. If in fact, their grandfather was guilty of such a sin, could they have answered amen to this now? He says it would have been impossible. So it's not possible for us to say that he actually slept in the bed. He disturbed his father's couch. And, and uh, that was it. But it says two other Tanaim, Rabbi Yehoshua, but more really Rabbi Eliezer, take the text literally and consider Reuven guilty of having slept with his wife. 
Oh, which his two? father's wife. Which two? So the main one is Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkunos, uh-huh. Rabbi Eliezer Hagadol, and under him was Rabbi Yoshua. Uh-huh. And he's really, Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer is the only one who accuses him of sleeping with his wife. Every other rabbi says, impossible! Uh-huh. So the question we have is why is Rabbi Eliezer the one who's going to accuse him of sleeping, of sleeping with, with the wife? So he says, because of this incident, Reuven finds himself, he loses the, he loses the firstborn. Because it continues, it says, when Israel heard what his son Reuven had done, it says Vaishma, he heard. He was afraid and dreaded that there was amongst his children a bad son, as had been the case with the children of his father and his grandfather. And he was told by heaven that with Reuben's repentance, the twelve children were still considered the sons of Yaakov, Bnei Israel, Bnei Yaakov, and they were worthy of their father. And therefore, there's a break here in this whole little thing. To show that even though the Torah is coming to accuse him, no, he's still one of the twelve because he's the one who did teshuvah and he did a complete teshuvah. When, he, when they come to, to, to kill Yosef, what does he do? He is really, why wasn't he there? Where did he disappear? He says he went to go take care of his father. But all of the days of his life, he wore sackcloth and he repented from moving his father's bed and messing up his father's ability to have more children. So on one hand, Reuven repented. On the other hand, he lost the birthright, and the rest of his life, he had to repent. Now, let's jump now to the, to the we're going to jump to the, Gema, to the Gemara. So, in the Gemara, we read the first Mishnah of the whole, of the whole Mishnah, the whole Gemara, is in Berachot, and it starts, Me'ematai korin et shema be'arbit. So, I, most of what I have here, so my son, he dedicated a class this week for Rabbi Gladstein, and Rabbi, and Rabbi Gladstein said, the Bibi family for Refuah Shalema of Adelbat Victoria, my mother. Uh-huh. And what happened was, my brother was listening, and he said, wow, this sounds like, you know, exactly up your alley, right? He goes, did you, did you dedicate this? I said, no, my son dedicated it. So my son sent me, and I was listening to it on, th- I woke up Thursday night, one o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep. From one o'clock till three o'clock, I listened, then I looked up everything to try to understand what was going on. Wow. So he begins, he says, The first Mishnah that we read tells us, when do we say the Shema at Arbit? And the question is, why is this the first Mishnah? Because the first mitzvah that a bar mitzvah boy is going to get, a bar mitzvah person is going to get, what's he going to have? He begins his bar mitzvah really at night, he becomes 13 at the night. So the first mitzvah is to say Shema. So that's the, the first mitzvah, that's why it talks about. But who's the Tana? Who's the rabbi that gives this opinion? Who's the first rabbi whose name appears in the whole Mishnah and the whole Talmud? I don't remember. So it says, this is the words, Divrei Rabbi Eliezer. Ah, These are the words of Rabbi Eliezer. Who's Rabbi Eliezer? Rabbi Eliezer. <laughs> rabbi Eliezer is who? There's only one Rabbi Eliezer in the whole Talmud. His name is Rabbi Eliezer Hagadol, they call him. Rabbi Eliezer Ben Herkinus. Ben Herkinus. He's the one who would mention. So the question is, why in the whole Gemara is the first guy mentioned this Rabbi Eliezer? Not only that, what's the last rabbi mentioned in the whole Talmud, in the whole Gemara? So we know that the last the last Mishnah of, of, uh, of, uh, of the Talmud, it's from Otskin, and it says there, it says there, Amar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, it starts. And it says, it's a, it's a, it's a last Mishnah, it says Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says that in the end of time, every Jew is going to inherit 310 worlds. But the rabbis say, you know what, this is not really part of it. This was added on so that we have a nice little Mishnah to end the whole Talmud with. Who is really the last to mention in the Talmud? So you go back and it talks about Bet Hillel in the previous Mishnah and Bet Shammai. say, no, but that's not a person. Who's the last rabbi mentioned in the whole Talmud? And the last rabbi is mentioned, he talks about Kaveret Deborim, a beehive, the status of a beehive. Rabbi Eliezer Omer. Rabbi Eliezer says. You have this whole Talmud with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. 
And still you have the first guy mentioned is Rabbi Eliezer. The last guy mentioned is Rabbi Eliezer. Mm-hmm. The wow. question is why? Who is this guy, Rabbi Eliezer? Who is he that he should be mentioned in the, in the Talmud? So the, this Rabbi Eliezer, he, he, uh, he was the son of, an, of a, man, of a, son, a man named Hyrcanus, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hyrcanus. Who was Hyrcanus? He says, this is the story. Hyrcanus was a very wealthy man. And he had a bunch of sons. And he owned fields and farms and, and, and sheep and cattle. And he wanted all of his sons to be part of the family business. So each one was given jobs within the family business. He says, but Rabbi Eliezer, he wasn't so excited about doing this. He was already in his late 20s, 28 years old. And he turned to his father and says, you know what, Dad? I, I don't like this. I want to go learn. Can I go learn? And the father said, listen, Eliezer, you're 28 years old. You have a big business. Run your part of the business. Make a lot of money. You'll get married, have kids, and you'll send your kids to be rabbis. Not you. It's too late for you. (laughs) He says his brothers didn't like him because he wasn't so into the work at this point. (laughs) So one day they all went to plow. Each brother took a field, a good field, a soft field, and they gave him a rocky, difficult field. So he went with the ox to go to the field to start to plow the field to prepare it. And what happened? Because of the rocks, the ox fell, broke its leg, and now he says, my father's going to shoot me. Okay, the ox is so valuable. He said, I'm out of here. He just picked up and he left and he went to Yerushalayim. And he went to the head rabbi, who was Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, he, and he said to him, can I come learn with you? And so the rabbi started asking him questions. And he didn't know anything. Zero. He said, but you don't know anything. How are you going to come learn? And I was, please let me try. He says, okay. Felt bad for him. Felt bad for him. He says he didn't have money. He was literally eating from the ground whatever he could find. His breath was terrible. The rabbi asked him, what's going on? And he knew who his father was. And so he says, you know, let me give you money. He told him the story. He says, my father basically doesn't want me to learn. So he gave him enough to support him and so that he could come learn. He says, three years he learned with him and three years he became his top student. Wow. Mm-hmm. He says, so much to the point, he, 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 you're going to see his, his, uh, his impressions of him. But now what happens is, Hyrcanus is getting old. Apparently, in those three years, they had a downturn in the business. They were losing money. And all of a sudden, everything turned around. And he made a ton of money. Now his son said to him, Listen, Dad. uh, Your son ran away. We're doing all the work. When you die, we want to be able to inherit you, not him. And his father said, Don't worry, I'll write. He goes, Nah, he knows all the rabbis. He's going to be able to... Okay, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to announce in Jerusalem that I disinherit Eliezer. Uh. So he comes to Jerusalem, and Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai sees he's coming, and he knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. So he tells him for Shabbat, come to the academy, stay with me, and sit with me on the dais with the rabbis. So they're eating, and they're this, and they're singing, and all of a sudden he says, we're going to have one of the rabbis get up and give a derashah. Who does he say to give the derashah? <laughs> Eliezer, his son. <laughs> He said his son was giving the derashah so, so amazing. What was happening? He says everyone was in awe. And at the end, he couldn't believe that this is his son. And he got up and he said, I came here to disown my son. Now I say I disown my other children. He should get everything. And every other says, no, 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 no. Leave everything. Don't, don't, don't do something like that. But the Gemara tells a story that when he was learning... That once, you know, we, we have the story about Elisha ben Avuya. Elisha is Acher, the one who... So he was a student, he was a student uh, of his. And he says, what Rabbi happened? Yezer? What happened? Because he was a student with Rabbi Akiva. And he was the teacher of Rabbi Meir. He says, when, when Elisha's father had a party one day. And he invited the rabbis to his party for his son's Brit Milah. And he said the rabbis were doing something, playing some games, talking, whatever. All of a sudden, Rabbi Eliezer said to maybe, I think it was Rabbi Yeshua, let's go learn. He said they started to learn on the side. And all of a sudden, a fire came from heaven and circled them. 
And this, this Abu Yah started to yell, you're going to burn down my whole body. They said, no, this is the fire from Shamayim because of how holy their words of Torah are. He says, if this is the result of Torah, I want my son to be a Talmud Chacham. They said, maybe because his, his intent was for the honor rather than the learning, that's maybe why Acher went to become Acher. But you see, his learning was something so special. He says, when, when, they asked, when they asked Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, tell us about your students. He said, if I put on one side of the scale Rabbi Eliezer ben Herkinus, oh, yeah, and yeah. I put on the other side of the scale all my other students... Rabbi Eliezer would weigh them down. So much greater. Wow. He said, what is his greatness? He said, he's like a boar, like a, like a cistern, holding water that doesn't lose one tipa of mayim. Not one wow. tipa. Remember tipa? Not one drop of water. He says that this is him. He says, when, when Rabbi Eliezer, though, he, he, uh, he was a very stubborn guy. He was from the house of Bet Shammai. And he was very stubborn and very ten- he had a lot of tenacity. It says that, that he disputed with the rabbis. Now his wife was very special. His wife was the sister of Rabban Gamliel, who was, was the daughter of Rav, Rav Shimon. The father was the Nasi. So he married the, the daughter of the president of the, of the, of the rabbis. And of, the, of really, really the country at of that point. Country. And yeah. his brother-in-law then became the president. And his wife was someone special. And and what happened was, so his, it wasn't Beria, was it? No, not Beria. Beria is Rabbi Meir. Oh. So her name was Ima Salim. Ima Salim it says that that she was and she was able to, to debate with the with the goyim and she can, she made them crazy because she was so brilliant. His wife. So now what happens is, we know the story is that he was put into a type of of excommunication, not official excommunication, but where his students, no one could come within four amot of him. They couldn't come within eight feet of him. Why? Because he had a dispute with the rabbis. They were discussing the kashrut of a certain type of an oven. And what did he say? He said, my way is the right way. And if my way is the right way, then what's going to happen? Says that the water is going to go reverse and the water goes backwards. The walls are going to crumble. Once the walls start to shake, he does all of these things, and then finally heaven says, Rabbi Eliezer is right. And the rabbi says, sorry, the word is not in heaven. But he was so adamant that he was right, that they said, we can't be with you. And they put him into a... Now what happened? His wife was so afraid that he had this, maybe anger towards his brother-in-law, that every time he would say, Tachanun, she would interrupt his tachanun. And she would interrupt him because she didn't want him to have concentration because tachanun is really way, we're going very down low into the, and we're lifting things up, but we, we connect to really different worlds. And so she was afraid that something would happen to her brother when he said tachanun, because God was so connected. And so what happened was one day she thought it was Rosh Chodesh, and it wasn't Rosh Chodesh, and she came back and she saw he was saying Tachanun. And she says, my brother is dead. And that's what happened. Her brother was dead from the Tachanun. So this is his level. But on the other hand, there was a, there was a, there was a, not a famine when there's no water, a drought in Eretz Israel, And he got up to pray. And he prayed the Amidah, which is 18 brachot, and six more that they say on a time of rain, praying to Hashem, praying and praying. And nothing happened. And all of a sudden, Rabbi Akiva, who was a student, got up and said, Avinu Malkeinu, Hashem, right? Please, Hashem. Said a few words, and all of a sudden, the heavens opened up. So everyone said, look, the student is much greater than the master. And again, a batkol came from heaven and said, this doesn't tell you that Rabbi Akiva is greater. All it tells you is that Rabbi Akiva has mercy, while Rabbi Eliezer is too tough a guy. <laughs> says, how tough was he? So his students came to him when he had, when he had this, uh, this, this level of, of excommunication. And they came to him and they told him, you know, we're here to see you. And he says, well, why haven't you been here so long? We're here to study. You haven't been here so long. They didn't want to tell him, we haven't been here because you're, uh, you know, they didn't want to tell him. They said, you know, we were busy. He said, you were too busy to come to me? You're going to all die a tragic, aye, suffering aye, death. Aye. 
And Rabbi Akiva comes and says, what about me, Rabbi? I'm like your favorite student. And he says, you? Worst of all. Aye. And he says, wow, what was this? When they Aye. came to him and they asked him, what's the way to be? Rabbi Akiva asked him, what's the way to be? He says, you have to make sure that everyone loves each other. It's interesting, almost like you can the see opposite what's going to happen. But he said to him, to Rabbi Akiva, that everyone should love each other. That everyone should, have, should, should be peace with each other. So he says, so many things happened. When Rabbi Akiva heard that he died, even though everything, they all came, the rabbis, and it says Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanina, who we talked about, they came and the stone that he used to sit on to teach, they kissed it and they said, this is as holy as Har Sinai. That's how great he was. That's how great he was. So there's all these stories about Rabbi Eliezer. All of these stories. Oh, he says, let the honor of your friend be dear to you as your own. Okay? That was his thing that he says in Pirkei Avot. And it's interesting that he says that to Rabbi Akiva. So, so, so now, that's, this is, that's part one. So we have a background of Reuven. We have a background of Rabbi Eliezer ben Horfinus. So now let's just see. <coughs> says that, that... Oh, no, I'm good. He says, so we say that, that, that we said that he was, he was also arrested once, Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Eliezer, for heresy by the government. What happened was he, was, he was teaching Torah, learning Torah, which was forbidden, the oral Torah, and they arrested him. They put him in jail, and he's going to have to appear before the judge. He comes in front of the judge, and he starts to say, the judge is so merciful, the judge is so great, the judge is so wonderful, the judge only gives justice. He was talking to who? Hashem. The judge heard him, said, talking about me? He, he acquitted him. He acquitted him. Also talks about his wife. In the Gemara and Nedarim, it says that his children were the most beautiful children in all of the land. And when it came to his wife, he would only be with his wife at midnight. He said he didn't want to be with his wife early in the night. He didn't want to be with his wife at the end of the night. Because early in the night, there's still people walking in the streets. And late in the night is already coming to morning and there's people already starting to walk in the streets. And he didn't want to have the possibility of thinking of someone else when he was with his wife. But at midnight, he was with his wife and the world was dead. And because of that, he had this level of modesty. It says that he had, they had the most beautiful children, the most beautiful children in the world. One more story of him. The Gemara talks about who is the person who has the greatest self-control of all of the rabbis. And it tells different stories of different rabbis. And finally, it tells a story about Rabbi Eliezer. And he says, what happened with Rabbi Eliezer? He was put in jail. And in jail, the head of the jail wanted him to, to, to commit a sin. So he sent two beautiful women to the jail cell with him completely naked women, most beautiful women, and ordered them to seduce him. And they were all over him the whole night trying to seduce him. And he turned away and he spit. And the next morning the jailer asked, because they didn't stop and he couldn't do anything. The jailer asked, how did you have self-control? At some point you would have just said, the heck with it. How did you have self-control? And he says that, 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 that we don't do what regular humans do. He says, Hashem doesn't allow it. He also, he had a relative who was abused, a girl, a young girl, it was a niece or something. And he had to take her and he hid her. In order to hide her, he hid her in his room with him. And it says she stayed in the bed with him when she was a child till she was 13. And when she was 13, she begged that he would marry her. And he says that, that she wanted to marry him, but he said, I'm too old to marry you. But she pressed and she pressed and he took her on as, as a wife. But he exercised all the self-control with her his whole time. So the Gemara talks about the idea that he had all of this self-control. The Gemara says that Reuven, like we said, we, we talked about the Torah, said he went to lay with Bilha. This Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkanus is the one who says that he actually lay with her. How come he says he lay with her? What's going on here? So we have all these things we know about him. He's the first in the Gemara. He's the last in the Gemara. He, we, he told them of their tragic deaths. He was somewhat excommunicated. He said, honor your friends. 
He talked about he had he was accused of heresy. He was acquitted of heresy. He had beautiful children. He had this idea with his wife that she was everything in the world. He had this idea that everything else wasn't part of him. He he went out of his way to marry his niece. Ah, marry his niece. So the so now let's see what the what the rabbis say. Yosef, in a couple of weeks, when his brothers come to him, after the whole incident, they find out who he is, he sends them back with gifts to go to their father and to bring the father back. He says to the brothers, go in peace. Go in peace. Rabbeinu Bachya says, what? What's going on? What do you mean, go in peace? He says to his brothers, that you, Rabbi Rabbeinu Bachya says, that all the brothers, because of what they did with Yosef, they're going to be reincarnated into the ten... The ten martyrs. The ten martyrs are each going to come back and they're going to be one of the brothers of Yosef, including Yosef, and they're going to suffer a terrible death because of the sale of Yosef. He says, except for Reuven. Reuven wasn't involved in the sale. He didn't want to sell him. So he says, Reuven comes back as who? As a Gilgul. And who is he? Rabbi Eliezer. Ben Horkanos. Ah. Rabbi Eliezer Hagadol. Ah. Rabbi Eliezer didn't, wasn't murdered. He died. He died. And we see that Moshe Rabbeinu at the end, when he's praying for the tribe of Reuven, he says, the tribe of Reuven, they should live and not die. What do you mean they should live and not die? He says, because all the other tribes are going to die, the ones that then be killed he says, no, Reuven's not going to be killed like the other ones are going to be killed the second time. He's not going to die a second time like this. And the Targum says the others died twice. He didn't. Why Hagadol? Why is he called Eliezer Hagadol? Because Reuven is the Gadol, the eldest. And he's a Gilgul coming back as Reuven, who's the eldest. Uh-huh. Says, the, says the Gematria of Yaakov Avinu, when he turns to Reuven at the end to bless him, he says, you are my str- the first of my loins and you are my strength. Kochi. And he said, Rashid, the beginning of my loins. If you take the gematria of those words, it's the gematria is the same as Eliezer ben Horkinus. Mm-hmm. He says, Rav Halpern says, he says to him, Yaakov Avinu says, Kochi, you are my Kochi. He says, Koach, what is the gematria of Koach? 28, how old was Rabbi Eliezer when he went to learn Torah? 28, 28 years old. He says, Rav Shem Klinberg, he says, why was Rabbi Eliezer first mentioned in the Gemara? Why? So the first reason we say is because he was the first to come to, this, to the study hall. He was the last to leave. So as a zechut of the first and the last, he's mentioned first and mentioned last. He says, no. He says, because he's Reuven, the first. He Boy. should be Zocher to be mentioned first because he rectifies Reuven and therefore he brings back Reuven to where? His position of first and therefore he's mentioned first. Mm. It says, also you could think the firstborn is given, Rabbi Gladstein says he added this himself, the firstborn is given a double portion, therefore he's mentioned first and also he's mentioned, he's mentioned last. The, the, the Shivlei Pinchas, we, all, we often quote, he comments on the Primegadim. And he says, who was the one who redacted the Mishnah? Who was responsible for printing and putting together the Mishnah? Uh, Rabbi. Rabbi. Rabbi, what was his name? Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the Arizal says he was a Gilgul of Yaakov Avinu. Just like Yaakov ah. is the Torah, a stif eret of the Torah, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi came to do the Torah. And who took away the birthright from Reuven? Yaakov Avinu. Gave it to Yosef. So what did Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi do as the Gilgul? He put him in the Mishnah first and in the Mishnah last to give back to Rabbi Eliezer, who was a Gilgul of Rabbi of, of him. The Radal, Rav David Luria, he wrote a commentary. So now what's the first book of the oral Torah that was put down on, on parchment or paper. The first book of the oral Torah put on, put on paper. It was the book of Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer. Oh. And who wrote Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer? Not Rabbi this. Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer Hagadol. Him. Rabbi Eliezer oh. ben Hurkanus. 
So he says the first also of the oral Torah is from him. Again, first, it's just two coincidences. He says he gathered a thousand comments from Chazal on Pirkei to Rabbi Eliezer, basically questions and answers. And he again says, why is he called Rabbi Eliezer Hagadol? He says it because he is Gilgul Reuven. He says he didn't sin. He says also, Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkonus holds that Reuven sinned. Why? Why is he the one holding that he sinned? No other rabbi says he sinned really, except for him. None of the other Rishonim even come later. The Radal continues and he says that the Gemara Nedarim that we mentioned, he was only with his wife at midnight. He says that because a person, God forbid, if a person is with his wife, and he has thoughts of another woman when he's with his wife, the child is called B'nai Timura. It's called this child because the child, the thoughts that a person has when their husband and wife are together, those thoughts are what bring down the neshama. So if God forbid a man is thinking about a different woman when he's with his wife, it brings down a different, different neshama. He says, because this rabbi was so medaktik of what he thought when he was with his wife, he had these most beautiful and special children. But if we all know the story about Yaakov and his wife, he thought he was marrying who? Right. Rachel. He ends up with Leah. Yeah. Right. His mind has, in a way, he's with Rachel. He's with Rachel Instead, he's with mind. Leah. Right. And what happens? Even though some of the rabbis say that he thought maybe his father-in-law would switch. Da, 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 there's no question that the rabbis say there's some level of a pegam. In who? In Reuven. And this is why Reuven had all these issues. And Reuven, and he... He sleeps or doesn't sleep, as the case may be, with Bilha, and Bilha means confused. So there we have now, what's this? But that messes up the bed of Yaakov. Yeah. So now, because of this whole idea, why was Rabbi it's Eliezer so medaktek only to be with his wife at midnight and only to have such total self control? Why? Uh, because it's a tikkun of Reuven. We said Moshe Rabbeinu says, Yechi Reuven al Yamot. He was, ex, he was in a way excommunicated. And as a tikkun, what happened? We see that Reuven, he, ha, he had, what was his strength, Reuven? We said, Re'eh, Re'eh, Re'uben, Re'eh, this whole idea of seeing. He says, what is the idea? When they talk about, he says, what is the best way? Rabbi Eliezer says, what's the best way of the Torah? He says, Ayin Tova, a good eye. Why good eye? Because he's Reuven, who's a, who's. Feature is this eye. Uh-huh. In the Gemara Baba Batra 74b, it says they went on a boat ride one day, and Rabbi Eliezer was able to see in the distance the Leviathan, the Leviathan, and he saw the eye of the Leviathan. How is he the only one who could see? Superpower uh-huh. to see. Why? Because he has this quality from Reuven, whose whole thing is Reu, is to see. Further, the Gemara talks about how do we know in mourning when it's mourning, when you can tell the difference between blue wool and white wool. What does Rabbi Eliezer say when you can tell the difference between blue wool and green wool? It's much harder to see the difference between blue and green than blue and white. Why? Because he has the supervision. The Imre Noam says when Rabbi Akiva, when he died, Rabbi Akiva was, it says specifically, he was streaming tears from his eyes. He says, why is it so specific to say, obviously he was streaming tears, where are they streaming? He was streaming tears from his eyes. Why? He was worried that maybe that Rabbi Eliezer didn't rectify Re'iyah. So the, the eyes were pouring tears. The Bnei Yisachar says that a Sadiq at the end of their life, they could reach the highest level of a Neshama. So the highest level of Neshama is this level called Yechida. He says, this is Rabbi Eliezer. He sees Rabbi Akiva. He's, he says that, that he's, it's impossible that he's going to die in a regular state. It's interesting. He says also in Sota, they ask, what was wrong with selling Yosef? He says, he became the king of the world. If they never sold Yosef, he wouldn't have ended up in Egypt. He wouldn't have ended up in Pharaoh. He wouldn't have ended up saving the world. He was able to do all of this. Why? Because you sold him. And what happened? He was, he was so good, Yosef, when they put him in the wife of Potiphar, he didn't sin. But the Gemara in Ida says, when they brought him to Eshet Potifera, he was so hard for him that 10 tipot, 10 drops of zera, 
came from his fingernails, whatever that means, okay. <laughs> emitted from his fingernails. And the Gemara says that Yosef should have been like his father. His father had 12 shivatim. Yosef should have had 12 shivatim. But because the Zerah came from his fingernails when he was with the wife <laughs> of Potipera, he lost 10 and he only had two sons. And therefore, what does it say? What does it say with regard to Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer? It says he was like a cistern that didn't lose one tipa. Uh, he didn't lose one tipa as a tikkun. He's, Rabbi Eliezer doesn't, the, the Radal continues. Rabbi Akiva came to me, says, what path do we take? He said, be careful with the honor of friends. As almost as he had, he had Ruach HaKodesh to see that what's going to happen to the students of Rabbi Akiva, they're not going to honor each other and they're going to lose 24,000. Mm-hmm. The Sefer Ohel Moshe, he says, per the idea of the Radal, he says he's a Gilgul Reuven. He says, he says he had to be careful because you were not careful with Yosef. He was telling, he was telling his, own, his own students, that the, his own students and the numerical value of if you take each of the names of the ten shivatim, and you take each of the names of the asara haruge malchut, the ten martyrs, and you add up the numbers, uh-huh. they equal the same. They equal the same. Yeah. yeah. So he says he's he's first mentioned as a tikkun of Reuven. He's the gadol, double portion. He's the first, the last. All of these things, all of these things, and and he says the clincher is. Why did he alone say that Reuven sinned? Uh, Everyone yes. doesn't say sin. Why does he say sin? Yeah. How could he have sinned? Yeah. And he says, because he wanted to be able to not cover up the sin. If he had sinned, he didn't want to cover it. Because if you cover a sin, you lose. And the rabbis tell us, Modeh, someone who admits, that Ozen, he leaves the sin, Yerucham, he's forgiven. So you see all of these little dots that connect. So we see not only is Hashem there from this guy who has a, he sees he's, he's, he's a shomer for a man who passed away and this man held him 20 years earlier when he was a baby. Not only is, is, is do we realize that he goes into the bore and in the middle of tragedy we see that Hashem is with us. Every single dot in history is covered by Hashem. And we have to see that we come to Ne'er Hanukkah we have the miracle, we're going to light every night the oil. But the lighting of the oil is to remember, how can we say it's a big miracle? We have the, the daughter of, of, uh, the, of Rabbi Hanina ben, ben Dosa. What happened? She came one t- Friday to her father. She said, I lit vinegar instead of oil. And what does he say to her? The one who says oil should burn will let vinegar burn. We had, when, we had with Shmuel HaKatan when he was the Kohen Gadol, 40 years they didn't have to change the oil. So what's the miracle eight days? No, it's a miracle eight days so that we should realize that everything in life is a miracle. And we should be able to see the miracles. We should be zochet to see the miracles and live the miracles. We should be zochet to, to, to fulfill all of the roles we have to do to all the tikkuns that we have to do. And we should see Mashiach. Amen. Amen.